If you're looking to sell your private company stock, SharesPost has a solution for you. With more than $4 billion in company-approved transactions, SharesPost is the leading marketplace for private company shares. To learn more, visit us at sharespost.com slash equity. Hello, and welcome to Equity. I am TechCrunch's Kate Clark, and I'm joined this week by Alex Wilhelm from CrunchBase News. Hey, Kate. How are you? I'm good. It's nice to have you in studio this week. It is. It's raining here. It's terrible. Uh, the weather is not what I expected when I moved here seven, six years ago, but um, I don't know. We're still in the middle of the universe of tech, so it's not that bad. I'm a Seattleite, so I try not to complain about the rain, but this is really annoying. All right. One more thing on that. I'm from Oregon, and I left there for a reason, and now I'm back, and the weather has followed me. Anyways. Yep. That's how I feel. All right. Well, there were a t- there's a ton of news this week, so I want to hit on a few things just right off the bat. Let's start with Precursor Ventures. The Precursor Ventures is a pre-seed fund led by Charles Hudson. They have closed a $31 million fund this week, which is double the size of their debut fund. This is fun because the first fund was actually $15.3 million, so it's just ever so slightly more than double, but they probably shot for roughly a double. And uh, what's cool is we were going back to the archives, and Charles Hudson, the kind of main person at Precursor, uh, was a guest back in June of 2017, which means that equity is officially old. Uh, that's terrifying. Moving on. Uh, Coral Capital has raised $46 million for itself, and this is interesting because of its pedigree. Kate, what was it before it was called Coral Capital? It was 500 Startups Japan, so it looks like they've decided to roll out as an independent fund completely separate from 500 Startups. Next up is uh, NEA, which is raising a $3.6 billion fund, which if it closes on size is going to be the largest NEA fund to date. But we were talking before the show and we were thinking about the name of NEA, which is New Enterprise Associates. And we think it's actually just three random words they put together to form an acronym. I think they should have just named themselves NEA because you know they wanted to just be called NEA. Why not just, why do you need to have an acronym? We call them NEA. You know, I mean, I don't know if that's worse or better than three random words. That's a good point. That's worse. NEA is worse. They should call themselves a tree, like, you know, Cedar, Birch, Sequoia, Hill. We don't need any more of that. We don't need Rock River Ventures Creek. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) It's even worse than private equity. All right. uh, Last quick hit of the day is Munchery, which uh, we've talked about on the show a couple times. We have. And they have finally filed for bankruptcy. Yeah. I've been following the Munchery debacle the whole time. So I was interested and, of course, unsurprised to see that they finally filed for bankruptcy. I recommend anybody who's been vaguely interested in this whole Munchery saga to go read the story I wrote on their bankruptcy filing because it includes the filing in the story and it is very interesting to page through. It's, basically, it's it's good because it describes how they fell apart, essentially. It maps the... Exactly. The CEO, James Barraker, kind of, you know, he tells the whole story within the filing of what exactly happened, including that they um, blamed, it's not necessarily the right word, but they said the Blue Apron IPO being such a failure and all the press and media that came with that made it really difficult for Munchery and other food delivery or meal kit startups to raise additional venture capital, which obviously doesn't help a company that's on the verge of folding. Yeah, this makes me think a little bit about what I write. Cause I'm all, I always think that I'm writing for people that don't have influence, but sometimes we cover something kind of to death that it can actually change things a bit. Anyways, uh, the Blue Apron is still in business and Munchery is not. That's the TLDR. Mm-hmm. Now, we're going to move into something I'm pretty excited about because Y Combinator is very near and dear to everyone's heart in Silicon Valley. If you've been around for a while, you've been to founder dinners, you've met these people. But there are uh, possibly some changes afoot in the great land of YC. So, Kate, what's up? Yeah, so YC is in the process of finding a new HQ, and they're looking in San Francisco. So what's notable about that is YC has for a very long time been located in Mountain View. And if you don't live in the Bay Area, that's about an hour um, south of San Francisco. I just doubted myself because I'm new new to San Francisco. It's actually west. It's in the middle of the ocean. (laughs) 
so yeah, so YC is looking to move to San Francisco. So I mean, what does that mean? A lot of venture capital firms in the last several years that were based in Silicon Valley have moved to San Francisco to be closer to entrepreneurs who, for the most part, they want to live in San Francisco, which I understand because I personally wouldn't want to live in Silicon Valley either. The, the only caveat to that is if you do go to like a place like Sunnyvale and go out in the burbs, it is silent. And SF, for all the joy that it has brought me in my years here, is loud. You want to live in a silent town? I, I turn 30 really soon, and that's just what I'm aging into. But I have a question. Is this their only HQ, or are they kind of doing an HQ2 up in SF? You know, I don't know the full details. Um, they, from my sources, tell me that they actually aren't sure what they're going to do with our Mountain View headquarters. Okay. So... If I had to guess, I'd say they're probably going to full, you know, do a full-fledged move into San Francisco. They already have satellite offices here. They have a big presence here. It's not going to be some crazy huge transition, but those companies are going to be, you know, hanging out in San Francisco full-time. They're not going to be making that trek up to Mountain View or down to Mountain View, sorry, for their you know, whatever it may be, their weekly dinners and um, mentorship sessions. So just to give a few examples of some venture capital firms that have made that move, Shasta Ventures, Norwest Venture Partners, Excel, GV, General Catalyst, NEA, <laughs> Benchmark, Kleiner, um, just for, for example, a lot of those firms do operate two offices. Yeah. So it just depends. Like Some of them have shut down their Silicon Valley offices, and a lot of them have chosen just to maintain and operate two separate offices. Well, I mean, this this is kind of the, the founder-friendly dynamic that we've seen. It used to be you had to go make, quote, the pilgrimage to Sand Hill Road down in Silicon Valley to go find these investors because they didn't exist anywhere else. You couldn't go find them. And they weren't going to come to you. They were busy sitting there counting their money. Now they're up in SF, they're a bit more aggressive, they want to be mm-hmm. in the mix, and they want to be nearer to the ground of where the uh, the younger folks are, which is here in the city. So yeah. it's, it's the whole dynamic kind of in microcosm in this HQ discussion. Yeah, and on top of that, I mean, the, them shopping for a new HQ is not the only thing that's going on at YC, and I think that's partially why it's so interesting that they are moving. Um, in addition to, you know, uh, moving, to H, uh, moving to SF, YC has increased the size of the the amount of capital that they invest in each of their companies from 120000 to 150000 mm-hmm. They've admitted a whole bunch more companies to their latest cohort. I think it's maybe around 220 companies, um, 50% larger than its spring 2018 cohort. 50%? Yeah. In one year? It's 50%. The, the cohort to cohort increase was 50%, according to the TechCrunch writer that covered the latest cohort. So because of that huge increase, because yeah. it was like 132 companies, and now it's like 220 companies or something. I, I don't even know that many that many names. Like I, don't I can't even, yeah. even imagine that many people. I mean, try it's to crazy. imagine a demo day with 220 companies. And imagine what I was going to say is that they have now uh, two stages because they have so many companies. So That's, they have two separate rooms, I'm assuming. This, this just sounds like dilution to me, in a sense, because the best part of the YC Demo Day experience, aside from the terrible food, which I'm going to make fun of until I die, uh, was that you were in one room and everyone had one moment in the spotlight. Everyone was there from like people that were like Joe Montana to like Joe VC, and you were all just stuck in a room <laughs> together. It was really meritocratic in a way because it was literally like first come, first serve for chairs. One time I sat on the, against the wall, and it was fine. But now this is a much more slick experience. It's more divvied up. It's less piratey. You know, it feels less early stage. It feels more polished. I guess everything's going that way, but to me it feels slightly uh, off theme. Yeah, and they also have a live stream now because they anticipate, you know, there's just so many people who want to go to these demo days and aren't able to, including top-tier investors. Top-tier investors don't necessarily even have a seat at these because they're just incredibly exclusive events. But that was the point. That's like saying we put a live stream in the club because you couldn't get in the front door. Like, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, the two stages to me does seem a bit like it's sort of um, hacking at the core of what YC is supposed to be doing, but... It's like if Stanford quadrupled its class sizes. Exactly. That is what it's like. 
Maybe that's actually okay. YC, I wouldn't be opposed to that. I think YC, people close to YC claim that you know they're able to scale really well because they can just add operating partners and they can add mentors to companies all the time. Yeah. So if they're able to expand their team, why shouldn't they be able to expand their cohorts? Okay, last thought about this, because I just talked to a YC CEO earlier this week about what makes YC special. So I have a little bit of, of notes from them about this. And he said that the reason why YC was spectacular, it wasn't the capital, it wasn't the location, it was the fact that they had the best mentors on hand because they could help you with precisely the problem you were having at the precise stage you were at. They just did one thing, they did it really well, and they had the exact people you needed to help, help you at that stage of your company's growth. If you just quote add operating partners, as you just uh, said they might, which they might, that might even work, but they might not be at the same quality level. Can you find 2x that number of people who are that good? And if not, you will dilute the magic. If you add a fifth house to Harry Potter, Hufflepuff will be fifth, you know? I mean, right. And I think the same argument can, can be made to any venture capital firm. A, venture, a really good venture capital firm can't just hire anybody. I mean, of course, they can't just hire any former entrepreneur t- as an operating partner to help yes. invest in mentor companies. So it, it's just, I guess the question really is how how far does venture capital scale? How far does an accelerator like YC scale and to the point that it is really diluting yeah. well, I mean, its last, core offerings? I know we've been on this for too long, so we'll move yeah. on. But like <laughs> the, 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 the question of scaling at YC is, again, a microcosm of the issue of scaling in the whole VC market. Mm-hmm. Like Everything's gotten stretched out longer in a company's life cycles. Other funds have moved into the venture capital space. And uh, the question is, is there enough innovation and growth actually to support these valuations and capital influxes? And I... Don't know, but yeah, I could talk about this for a very long time. So let's move on from small checks to big checks. Alex, tell me about the greatest billion dollar round of the week. Um, well, it's the greatest one point four six billion dollar round ah. of the week. If I'm going to be annoyingly precise about it, one point five. If you're rounding, um, guess who led this? Kate, was it the Vision Fund? It I'm gonna, was. I'm going to guess it was the Vision Fund. Yeah, <laughs> shockingly enough, it was. Put money on that. Um, I have a quote from uh, actually TechCrunch's John Russell, one of my absolute favorite TechCrunchers, maybe my favorite. He's great. Um, he said that this uh, Grab investment quote takes Grab's ongoing Series H to 4.5 billion, which is an amazing sentence. I don't know how John Russell keeps up with Grab's funding rounds because I feel like there's just one all the time. He's been really good about covering them when they're rumored, covering them when they come together, and then covering them at the end. So he kind of wraps you in this like. Southeast Asia, grab, Gojek, funding, and saga. He really does. He does. He Every does night when I go to bed, that. I read John Russell's funding stories. They <laughs> just put me right to sleep. Not in a bad way, John. In a good way. Um, so uh, I was thinking about scale, and this is one of the biggest uh, venture capital rounds in aggregate to date. Uh, I know there's at least one bigger one, which was the Ant Financial Series C of $14 billion from last year. I think it was like June or July of last year. So this is not the biggest ever, but it's certainly among the largest we've ever seen. Um, total capital raised to date by grab is $8.8 billion, and my notes wow. there say, holy um, sharks, which because I, I didn't know they had raised that much capital to date. That's a, it's more than I expected. Um, and I, I just couldn't help myself, but I was curious, from whence does this capital come, if not all from the Vision Fund? And Crunchbase had 40 known investors written down for this company, and I grabbed the fun wow. ones. So did you know that Microsoft, Toyota, Honda, Yamaha, and Didi have all put money into this company, along with about three dozen venture capital firms? Like that's how I much did not know that, but I'm not extremely surprised by that. You have to bundle so hmm. hard to build one of these companies because right hailing apparently takes an infinite amount of capital to get right. Apparently it does. I, I okay, so here's some more numbers for the folks out there who want more of them, which is me. Gojek, another player in the region, has raised a very modest, in comparison, $3.1 billion in known capital. And then we go up in scale. <laughs> Didi, the biggest player in China, has raised about $20 billion. Now, this is inclusive of a lot of things. This is not just raw equity capital. There's often some debt in here. Mm-hmm. There's a weird secondary round thrown in, but it gives you an idea of the scale we're talking about. Mm-hmm. Uber, 
$24 billion. Lyft, a smaller number, 4.9. But that's like, what, 60, 61, 62 billion of capital has gone into just the bigger ride-hailing companies that we know of. And do we know, where does Grab operate? Does it operate all across Southeast Asia? That's my impression, but I would okay. have loved to fact check that. Yeah, no, I think I think it does. I, I, the reason I thought of that is Lyft, Lyft, um, you know, only having raised four point nine billion just seems so small compared to say Uber's twenty five billion or Didi's yeah. twenty billion. But the big difference is that Lyft really only operates in the U.S. Right, it's a one country play, which is maybe why it's losing less money than a lot of other companies. It's not running offices around the world, but also mm-hmm. their total addressable market or TAM is going to be smaller. Mm-hmm. Although, of course, the U.S. is quite a uh, a large market. Uh, Grab, though, is Singapore-based and uh, operates in Singapore, obviously, and then Malaysia, Indonesia, Philippines, Vietnam, Thailand, Myanmar, and Cambodia per okay. this page. So indeed reading. across Southeast Asia. Indeed cool. across Southeast Asia, as expected. I mean, if you raise that much capital, you're not targeting one country unless you're Lyft and then half. So. Hey, everyone. Don't forget, this episode is brought to you by Shares Post. All right. Well, let's scoot. Uh, actually, I'm going to segue to myself here because I have uh, I threw something in the agenda today that I'm pretty excited about. I know Kate <laughs> uh, finds fintech to be literally the best it's thing of all time. It's not my favorite topic. Just because we have time, can can I just like scratch my itch here? Why don't you like fintech? I don't know. I to be completely honest, I just don't find it to be particularly interesting when I'm reading about a fintech company. I just don't get excited. Maybe because I, well, I was going to say maybe I'm not super interested in finance, but given what I do, <laughs> I was about to, you do know what this show is about, don't you? I I like venture capital. I like tech. When it comes to hard financial services, I'm less excited. Okay, but like we should draw rough different circles of fin services versus fintech. And I know they get really muddied. And I think mm-hmm. actually Chime is more fin services than fintech, if I'm being totally honest. But I like the idea, and this is just maybe me, but anything that involves moving billions of dollars around on a daily basis is interesting because of just the scale of movement. And also, I hope some of the money will land on me at some point in time. Like kind of it's out. certainly an important sector and worth paying attention to. I guess I'm just glad my job is not specifically fintech reporter. Bad news about your next job assessment. All right. Chime. <laughs> Chime raised $200 million, led by DST, and has now raised a total of about $300 million. So if you go back a couple of weeks on the show, Kate and I were talking about how some companies are now raising more money in one round than they've raised to date. This is a big thing with companies uh, often out of China. This is one of those times they've raised 2x in one round as they've raised uh, preceding. So this comes a little bit less than a year after the Series C of $70 million. And back then it was raised, valued at about $500 million post money. I don't know the new Chime valuation, but we can presume it's getting close if it has not yet met the unicorn uh, threshold of $1 billion. Um, since the Series C last year, it's grown its staff to 120 people, acquired something called Pinch, which I've never heard of and I've already forgotten about now that I finished that sentence. And uh, critically, they grew from 1 million accounts roughly a year ago to about 3 million now. So that's pretty aggressive growth. That's pretty impressive. It shows that there's a lot of demand out there for these, quote, neo-banks. And uh, if you want to look more at the category, Acorns, which started as a savings company, which is now moving into banking, is another competitor. And critically, they raised a $105 million Series E uh, in late January of this year. So there's a lot of money in the space. Chime, this Chime round was kind of long rumored, so it's not a shock that it's here. But it has landed. And uh that's $300 million into this space across two rounds in just a couple of months. So it's hot. VCs are excited about it. And you're excited about it. It's good some people are excited about it. Oh, one person is enough. One person outvotes uh, incorrect majority. It's the old saying. All right, let's move on to something that everyone cares about, which is the Vision Fund. Sorry, everybody. Uh, but as we all know, it's very active around the world. And now it'll be more active in Latin America. 
Indeed, yeah. SoftBank loves to make headlines. And uh, in addition to leading some big rounds, it has created the SoftBank Innovation Fund, which it announced this week. So that's so far they have raised $2 billion in committed capital with a reported goal of raising $5 billion for this fund, which is going to invest in Argentina, Brazil, Chile, Colombia, and Mexico, covering various industries like e-commerce, digital financial services, healthcare, mobility, and insurance. So just basically they've got this huge bucket of capital to invest in a bunch of disruptors in Latin America. So did I have that wrong? This is a distinct fund from the Vision Fund, but still from SoftBank. Or is this a fund that comes from the Vision Fund itself in part and is going to take on other investment to make it up to the five billion. I don't I don't know if this is coming from the Vision Fund. It seems to me that this is coming from SoftBank. They've created like sort of this sister fund called the SoftBank Innovation Fund. Got that's it. completely independent from the Vision Fund. Good. I wanted to correct myself because I definitely introduced this incorrectly, and that's totally my fault. So SoftBank, SoftBank Innovation Fund, aimed at Latin America, distinct from but sister to the Vision Fund. Yeah, Got exactly. It. Yeah, that is exactly okay. right. So, I apologize. So according to TechCrunch's Ingrid London's reporting, um, you know, Latin America is is a huge market. So there are three hundred and seventy five million internet users and 250 million smartphone users, which puts Latin America ahead of the U.S. in terms of sheer numbers. Um, as far as the retail e-commerce space in Latin America, it doubled in the last three, three years, going from $54 billion in 2018 from $29.8 billion in 2015. So we're seeing some pretty insane growth in that region. That's super impressive. And we know that SoftBank's already put money into some places in the regions and companies that you've heard of. Uh, I think it was 99, which is kind of an Uber rival down in Brazil. And I think there was actually a DD component. I think DD bought it, uh, which was one of the bigger uh, acquisitions we've seen in the Latin American space. And then also it's put $100 million into um, a company called, is it Logi or Logi? I'm not going to tell you because I don't know. It's L-O-G-G-I, uh, which is a pretty cool name. Actually, I don't hate that, but I don't know how to pronounce I wanna it. I want to say Logi. Let's go with Logi. But my gut is usually wrong about pronunciations. I'm going to go with Logi. No, Logi just sounds wrong. <laughs> now that I say it, so, it's Logi. Yeah, so bottom line is... It's, it's obvious, based off these numbers, that Latin America is a, a huge destination for VC investment. So I think we're going to see that skyrocket in the next few years. Um, Masayoshi Sun, uh, the SoftBank CEO, he, his statement was, Latin America is on the cusp of becoming one of the most important economic regions in the world, and we anticipate significant growth in the decades ahead. Yeah, and just to throw a little bit of light and color on that, uh, my team reached out to a Latin American venture capital association, and they said that uh, investment in the region had grown to about $1.1 billion in 2017, up from, and this is from here, 500 or 600 million in 2016. So there's a lot of growth in the area. This amount of capital is large in comparison to the yearly dispersion of capital across the region. So it could have an outsized impact and maybe act as an accelerant to a huge part of the world that honestly, we don't talk about enough on the show, frankly. So shame on us. Now, uh, today, before we recorded, news broke that everyone's favorite company that refuses to grow up and go public has bought a company that everyone actually liked to use. So what happened with Airbnb and Hotel Tonight? Yeah, I feel like something always breaks just hours before the show every week, which is not a bad thing because it gives us some fresh news to play around with. It really likes to take our agenda and throw it away and make us start again. Um, So this week, Airbnb announced its intent to acquire Hotel Tonight. Um, So we don't have the price on this deal because Airbnb declined to give a price, but some reports are indicating that it was worth about $465 million, which is probably exactly right. So because Hotel Tonight's last valuation was $463 million, so that's just north of that. Sounds like a pretty logical number. So if you're unfamiliar, um, Hotel Tonight is an app where you can log on and then book a hotel room day of. So if you're just somebody who's really bad at planning or if you're a business traveler who just doesn't really make their accommodations far in advance, 
um, you can just hop on the app and then book a room for that night. So it's I've used it before. I think it's pretty useful. I know I, you know I saw on Twitter today tons of people were like, I love hotel tonight. Now it's going to get screwed at Airbnb, which I mean, it's going to remain independent for the time being. So there's not going to be any massive changes incoming. The question is, how long is for the time being, and uh, how much will it get Airbnbified? Though it's ironic now that we're seeing companies that used to be the upstarts now become the incumbents and therefore squash the upstarts. Like that's a weird dynamic that I didn't expect to have happen, but Airbnb is. Right. It's true. A lot of people, you know, people who remember the beginning of Airbnb, I think are really like, Oh wow. Now they're going into the hotel business. They were so against the hotel business. They wanted to share homes. Like, and I think, you know, how I started my story today, I was like, they, they have to expand beyond tree houses and quirky homes because they they're going public they have to appeal to investors and i think part of that appeal is is showing them that they can be this massive um travel marketplace just like uber wants to become the ultimate transportation business yeah i mean if you're gonna sell to a new customer base like i don't know business customers you can't offer them really cool tree houses in austin that have upside down bunk beds you need to have that you have to book six months in advance and yeah, that's just not going to work. So if you want to pick up an entire class of new people, bring a lot more revenue to your platform, maybe buy some growth effectively, this makes a lot of sense. And provided they can not dilute the experience that makes Hotel Tonight special because you are correct. It has fans, which is kind of rare for a hotel booking thing because no one ever goes, um, Expedia, yay. I've never heard someone do that you know, ever <laughs> in my life. Um, but I want to I <laughs> dial back just for a second and go back to that $465 million exit mm-hmm. number compared to a valuation of 463. That's a disappointing exit for the last capital in because they put money in and they got money out at some probably flat valuation. And that means they've just loaned their money away and got it back for effectively nothing, mm-hmm. which is the opposite of what you want to see. Yeah, you're right. I mean, so this their last round of capital was a I think I want to say about a $37 million round, and that was in 2017. Okay. And I was doing a bit of research on Hotel Tonight earlier today, and I noticed um, a couple of years before that, they did have some layoffs, and I, they did run into some financial trouble. So I think uh, okay. I think that could have been, that's that perhaps flat valuation, it could be tied to some some maybe troubles with scaling that they had before that, but that's all. Here's, so here's a question that I have about this. So Airbnb is going to go public eventually just because it absolutely has to. It's going to put it off into the last minute and then go kicking and screaming apparently, but it, it will happen. Okay, so you're Airbnb, you're big, you've got a great brand, you're well-known, you're one of the more financially healthy unicorns that's going to go public in this year or next year, but you go out and buy a hotel tonight. So from the tea leaves, I'm thinking you're buying growth and access to a new customer demographic. Fair enough? Yes, absolutely. there's no way Hotel Tonight would have sold for a flat valuation if it was growing and was profitable. So you're buying growth in some capacity for dilution because acquisitions are expensive and some uh, negative net income, which means that your IPO is probably delayed. That's my, I, I tried to put this together in my head. That's my best guess. Yeah, you're right. I mean, you do pose an interesting question. I think for one, we don't know that that's the deal size. We don't know they paid $465 million because we haven't confirmed that with our own sources. So perhaps it's larger, which would point to um, an alternative narrative than what you're posing. Or Airbnb is not going to go public until, say, the second half of 2020. They haven't, like, like Slack, Pinterest, Lyft, and Uber have, Lyft, those companies have taken concrete steps forward toward that IPO. Airbnb is one of the only unicorns that's rumored to go public that actually has not done that. They have not, uh, to my knowledge, hired bankers. They have not privately filed. So there are some precursor steps, if you will, that have yet to happen. So they're probably the furthest away among the Decacorn class. Right. And given that this is one of, one of or if not the largest acquisition that Airbnb has ever completed, 
that's going to delay an IPO. If they were planning on, say, going public in June, which Brian Cheskett at one point did say they were going to go public before June 2019, which is in, like, what, three months? That's coming up. So that's not – I mean, that's not happening. It doesn't – I mean, never say never. <laughs> well, where there's a will, there's a way, or whatever that stupid cliche is, but it doesn't yeah. seem likely. It seems very unlikely. And given that – again, given the size of this acquisition, which is not complete yet, they just announced their intent to acquire a hotel okay. site. So it's not closed. It's going to take it's a, a half whole bunch billion of dollar deal, give or take. It's going to take a while to swallow, even if you're Airbnb size. If you were Microsoft, you wouldn't even notice if you're Google or you know one of the big big companies. Exactly. Those are fifty times as big. And so I should say, so Hotel Tonight raised a total of one hundred and thirty one million in venture capital funding, and I thought this was really interesting. So Axel, sorry, Excel. You can call him Axel. <laughs> That's fine. <my> t- <laughs> Excel invested, um, was the very first investor in Hotel Tonight, okay. and they invested in almost every single round subsequently. Ah, okay. So they, they are now Hotel Tonight's largest stakeholder. So I guess, you know, bullet point is just that this is going to be a really nice deal for Excel. Well, I mean, I'm curious if it's a cash deal or a cash stock deal or a stock deal, because I'm curious if they would rather have a uh, stock in Airbnb pre-IPO to catch that first day pop, which will presumably be two and four. Um, I would love to find that out. If you know... Uh, send us an email yeah, or a tweet. I would really like to know that too. That's... That would be great. Someone on the show who's listening right now does know that and is not going to tell us, and I'm cross with them. Just send us an email. We won't tell. Yeah, we won't you. tell anyone except for each other. That's okay. <laughs> all right. Uh, that is all the time we have for this week, Kate. As always, lovely to see you. Great to talk to you. Thank you, everyone, for showing up. Thanks to Chris for producing it, and we'll see you all in seven days. Bye. Bye. Hey, Kate, what's this extra crunch thing I keep hearing all about? Basically, Extra Crunch is everything you love about TechCrunch and more. Imagine if TechCrunch were a magazine, that's Extra Crunch. Here's the spiel. Extra Crunch gives you access to in-depth coverage on how startups become successful, challenges facing the startup community, enhanced reader tools on TechCrunch.com, member-only conference calls, and more. Sign up today by visiting TechCrunch.com slash subscribe. Extra Crunch is awesome, though, really. You guys should all check it out. I recently wrote a deep dive on fertility tech, interviewed a ton of VCs and founders in the space, and produced a really awesome piece on it. If you're a longtime equity listener, you've heard of Danny Crichton. He's been on the show a half dozen, two dozen times. He is one of the biggest and most integral parts of Extra Crunch. So if you love Danny, there's a lot more Danny to get. If you haven't signed up for Extra Crunch yet, all new members receive a free trial. And even better, if you're an annual member, you receive discounts to TechCrunch events like TechCrunch Disrupt. Enter the promo code EQUITY to save 20% on an annual membership plan. Again, that's TechCrunch.com slash subscribe. Select the annual plan and enter the promo code EQUITY.